What's up, guys? Uh, I'm Ben Hartman. I am the CEO and founder of Morphogen Nutrition. I'm one of Bryce's best friends, at least I like to think so. And uh, I've I've lived a lot of life and uh, walked a lot of convention, and I hope to be able to uh, offer some insight and some some laughs and uh, hopefully some intelligent points along the line. Probably more laughs than intelligent points, but we'll we'll see how we do. Um, no, so I I obviously am not going to go into our friendship because I think that'll be a little bit easier to like keep it more like you know friendly for the viewers but um but definitely continue talking about like your background you know you own morphogen um let's talk about like what morphogen is and then we'll talk about like the background that led you to you know where you are at the moment yeah so uh morphogen nutrition is a supplement company in the formerly in the you know the sports science or the sports supplement industry uh that we founded in the summer of 2011. uh it was basically my my baby my brainchild and it was sort of a culmination of a lot of things in my life that led to that point. That was sort of this eureka moment of this is the path that I'm supposed to be going down. Uh, before that, I had an extensive amount of education and uh, career experience in the fitness industry in some capacity. I, uh, I have a exercise physiology, pre-physical therapy, undergraduate degree. I have a master's degree in nutrition and dietetics. I used to work at a major university prior to quitting to run Morphogen full-time. I managed all their fitness and wellness programs for a number of years. You know, we're talking fitness testing, wellness testing, personal training, group exercise, uh, you know, all the all the wellness services, the massage and all that kind of stuff, the group exercise. I, I managed that for a long time uh, at the university. Before that, I did a lot of corporate wellness. I co-managed a facility there. And before that, I personal trained uh, in a number of facilities full-time for a couple of years. So basically my entire path leading up to starting a supplement company, uh, at least professionally, was very much just single lane, excel in this one thing. Uh, academically, you know, I when I was at the university, I had no plans on going back and getting a master's degree in anything. Um, I, I wasn't a bad student growing up, but I wasn't a great student. I did okay, you know, my natural sort of ability to think and uh, problem solved led the way, but I, I hated the structure of it all. And especially going through college, I was like, why am I doing all this bullshit? And why, why can't we learn something else to add on to this? And I was the kid that was sitting in these, you know, huge lecture halls of, of people never taking notes or rarely taking notes. I would engage with the teacher and I would pay attention to what they're, they're doing. And I would build these like maps in my brain about what they're doing and how it all intersects. And I was the kid that, that asked questions and spoke and then also fucked up the curve for everybody in the class. <laughs> Finished these these two hour long tests in 20 minutes, going as fast as possible. And sort of the way that my mind has always worked is it's like full scent. If I'm if I'm into something and I'm confident in who I am and, and my ability to think about this topic, then I don't second guess what I'm doing. And for me, I have a very fast thought process. And once the dopamine starts getting spiked, man, I can go. Uh, I, I've always been a person that can really get into a flow state and really get lost in what I'm doing and, and accomplish so much work in so little time. And so one of my, uh, one of my colleagues at the university who was one of the nutrition professors, he was also a competitive bodybuilder. He wrote for T nation and some of these other publications back in the day. And I was well aware of who he was. And he's like, Ben, you gotta, you gotta get a master's degree in this. Like you're meant to do this. And so after about a year of him pestering me, I joined the program and Joined it with some some exceptional, uh, you know, other students. Uh, these women were all fantastic. They all had, uh, you know, 
prior degrees. They all had, you know, their certifications that, you know, they're registered licensed dietitians with the state. They had worked at hospitals or for WIC or for any of these, you know, organizations. And I came in there with basically nothing, uh, no, you know, one nutrition undergraduate course. And I ended up graduating at the top of my class in that program uh, and sort of, you know, famously or infamously amongst, uh, you know, some of the people that know me, I ended up writing my graduate thesis in eight hours, my hundred page graduate thesis in eight hours. And when I turned it in, I zero revisions, zero looking back at anything, but I completely fucked up the work cited page on it and ended up paying a, another colleague of mine a hundred bucks to fix it for me so that I could graduate. Uh, we graduated, we ended up moving to Columbus so I could run the company full time. And so during the, the course of this, this university stuff, I was very actively competing in drug tested bodybuilding competitions, powerlifting competitions. Uh, I did a little bit of strongman in there. I'm not sure how much anybody nowadays, you know, that was like a lifetime ago. Um, I used to write for Elite FTS for a little bit. Uh, I wrote for a couple other smaller magazines. There was one magazine that uh, was in Europe that I wrote a couple articles for here and there. And basically, I I was at this crossroads both in my personal life as well as what was going on with the industry where it was a weird time back then. Companies were still doing this kind of like the shady marketing thing that was so prominent, these hidden formulas and these these bullshit marketing tactics. And, you know, I felt this disconnect between what I was essentially, you know, forced to promote through this company and what I actually believed to be the right thing. And I had a bunch of connections in the industry from, you know, we're talking pre-Instagram, you know, social media days. We're talking the message boards back in the day. And that's where I became friends with guys like John Meadows and and people like that for the first time and really built up my name in the industry. We're talking, you know, almost 20 years ago now. And uh, a friend of mine that was part of that whole group, he uh, he's part of a chain of supplement stores that his family owns out West. And he wanted to start an in-house brand. And he came to me to help him formulate. So he said, you know what, if you help me formulate, I'll give you all my professional contacts in this whole area. And I was like, Fuck yeah, let's do it. So he gave me all his initial manufacturers and label companies and compliance and all this stuff. And I basically, uh, you know, had this information in my back pocket and this sort of like budding idea in my head. And within my, you know, my personal life, you know, my wife, Deidre and I, uh, we had been married for a short amount of time. We had been together for 10 years, so it's not like this was brand new, but we did the- Ben, what year was this, by the way? Uh, so this was- so I formed the company in 2011. Uh, I worked for the university from 2007, no, wait, 2013 to something, somewhere around in there. Uh, so talking about, you know, 10, 12 years ago, give or take, and all this stuff was happening. Uh, my wife and I got married. We did the, the traditional, you know, get married, get a dog, get a house, you know, go to the same job, clock in, clock out, go out with the same friends that you've known in your hometown every single weekend, go out drinking beers on the weekends. We did that for a long time and it felt so empty for me. And I have a lot of great memories from that time period, but I always felt like I was sort of squandering this, this life that I've been given. You know, I, I firmly believe that we're here once and that you, you get one chance to do it. And I've had this sort of like lingering feeling in me that I can't fuck this life up. I can't fuck this one chance I have up to, to exist. And I felt this right around that time period. And I was like, something, something has to change. I hate the house. The job that I had started to become really toxic uh, due to a number of, you know, work environment factors, a lot of university political sort of factors. And one day my, my immediate supervisor, who I really worked well with, uh, she came in and quit on the spot. 
And it's because her, she was working so much that her daughter told the babysitter mom. And she's like, fuck this, I'm done. And I remember asking her, how are you going to like pay your bills? Because we were all teaching part-time as well at the university. I was teaching some exercise physiology and personal training courses through the sports science department. And she goes, you know, if I pick up like two more classes and just not send my kids to a daycare and pay for that and just do it myself, I'm going to actually make more money than I was before. And it's light bulb went off. Yeah. And I was already doing a lot of online coaching back then. This was before online coaching was the thing that it is now. Remember, we're talking like pre-Instagram era. But I was, you know, doing a lot of coaching back in the day. And, you know, I got kind of burned out from doing that. And I, you know, with all these contacts and this knowledge that I had acquired and this and having been a an athlete with another company, I was like, this is a perfect storm. I should just start my own company. Well, fuck, I don't know anything about business. And you know, how do you even, how do you even do this? Thankfully, my wife is very organized and she and I have very complementary opposite sort of personalities and intellects and the way that we mesh together. Um, she, she's an accountant. She was uh, a pretty successful accountant with JP Morgan Chase corporate down here in Columbus uh, for a number of years before she came full-time with the company and she helped me organize everything. But there was literally one, one weekend or it was like kind of like a Friday end of the weekend that I called off work and I had sort of like a 48 hour manic spell. And I said, okay, here's what's happening. I'm, our life has to go in a different direction. We can feel this. I don't know how it's going to happen, but something's got to change. So I'm going to start a supplement company. I need all of our money in savings. Mind you, this was not very much money, but I was I need all of our money. She goes, okay, I believe in you. And so we drained that account down to $10 and 62 cents. And it sat there for a couple of years. We took that risk and didn't even pay ourselves back for a few years. Uh, so that was kind of the, the the genesis, you know, the creation of the company. And in the same conversation, I said, oh, by the way, I signed us up on a Swinger website. And <laughs> there's a bunch of hot young couples that want to fuck us. <laughs> or Deidre. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, to backtrack a little bit from there and not divert too much away from the company, uh, you know, she had uh, some, some bi-curiosity, some bisexual sort of experimentation a few years prior to that. And that's something that we had discussed a lot about, you know, where, where our relationship was supposed to go. You know, we had been together by this point in time, 10 years, we were high school sweethearts. I had only ever been with her. Uh, she had only ever been with one guy before me and it was a really toxic thing. And she had a lot of trauma that revolved around that. And so this is not something that we took lightly. Uh, you know, one day I just, you know, this is how it's going to happen. But that's the day that I signed us up on the site. And, uh, and that's the day that I came up with the company name and I came up with the first 10 products names that we still use today. Uh, and, you know, especially looking at what it meant, everything that I've, I've ever done with, with anything in my life, for the most part, I've tried to be very, very intentional. Uh, even if something is, you know, uh, sort of sporadic in its inception, uh, there's still a lot of analytical thought that goes into these decisions. So the company was no different. I didn't want, you know, you know, supplement labs. I don't, I don't own a lab labs with a Z that's edgy. That's <laughs> stupid. Like I, that's just stupid. Uh, so I came up with morphogen and morpho and gen together mean create change and a morphogen compound in biology is a compound that tells cells to undergo a specific reaction. So it's a change catalyst. And I was like, well, this is exactly the point that I'm at in my life. And this is the type of brand that I want to create. These are the types of products that I want to create that start this 
this change in the industry and this change the way that things are done. And I, you know, I used to say all the time when I was with my former sponsor, like, why the fuck can't anybody put everything you need in one scoop? I was always mixing and matching or double scooping and buying extra raw material or taking an extra thing of this. And I was like, this is fucking dumb. And then I realized, look, you know, looking into the industry, well, it, that's done because of profitability. And the way the game has historically been played is this massive, you know, wide scale distribution model. And so it's basically you create a product, maybe it costs you $5 to make it. You sell it to a distributor for 10, who sells it to a retailer for 20, who sells it to you for 40. And so you get a $5 product for 40 bucks. Well, of course, it's going to be incomplete. Of course, it's not going to be as optimized of a product as I would want it to be, especially since I was so heavily competing without the use of drugs, without the use of, you know, performance enhancing drugs. For me, every little 1% advantage meant the difference. Uh, it, even just, uh, if it was a placebo effect, it, it didn't matter to me. It's like, why would I leave any stone unturned in this journey that I'm trying to, to optimize my, my competitive career or my academia or my, the direction that my life is going. And so that's the day the company was born. And we started it with 100 units of one flavor of one product, which you can't even buy 100 units now with manufacturers, uh, and with no fucking clue how we were going to do it and no money. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, I had a really good reputation in the industry. I had a good reputation locally in the competitive scene and the gym scene. And I was, you know, I said, if we can sell off half of these units in six months and make our initial investment back and it flops, at least I have, you know, five years worth of pre-workout left for myself. And we sold that first batch in under three weeks. And then we were out for another three months or whatever it was until we could manufacture more. And then we just, you know, uh, year, year one was kind of like, you know, a level one and year two was a two and year three was a four and year four was an eight. And we just literally doubled every single year over the previous year for 10 years in a row based on integrity, really the integrity of the brand, my personal integrity, uh, you know, the way that we stood behind the products, the way that we explained and educated the products. I, I always said from the beginning that if you make a product that looked great on the label, and if you make a product that the science looked great when you break it down, and then if you take a product that matches those and it works extremely well, there's nothing left to give to this. People will, people that get it, you know, these logical minded thinkers that aren't easily swayed by these uh, potentially irrational emotional decisions that is the way the marketing game crucial works. I go, those people are going to find this and they're going to, they're going to tell a hundred people. And one of those people is going to get it, you know, they're going to get it and then they're going to join and then they're going to tell a hundred people. And eventually this thing's going to like sort of take over. And so then we coined the term join the takeover and we've had that ever since. So taking a couple steps back here, because that was through a lot out there. So we're going to put a pen in the, uh, the whole swingers site thing, because I definitely want to talk about, uh, morphogen for a little bit longer. So again, you know, you and I know each other very well. <laughs> We've talked a lot about how difficult it is to own, operate, run, grow a business. And I'm sure a lot of people have maybe seen Morphogen. They maybe seen like, you know, your social media accounts and maybe even bought the products, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people don't see. They always see like the front and they see, like you said, the exponential success. It's always beautiful to see on the, on like, you know, that marketing side of things. But, um, you want to talk about like some of the things that, that you guys have struggled with over the past 10 years? Um, obviously, this is going to be a, a, a non-exhaustive list. Um, but I mean, we could definitely start from the first time I fucking bought supplements from you. I had to drive to your apartment. 
and buy them from you in person. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, what, what was like, what was that like trying to run a business out of this tiny ass house? Was it a house or apartment, a townhouse, whatever the fuck it was? Um, you guys didn't have a warehouse back then. You didn't even have a garage big enough, which you later had a garage big enough to, to house at least most of, of the items, you know? But, um, yeah, let's, let's talk about trying to do that, trying to live with your partner who is also, you know, trying to, to integrate into the business and, and manage and, and balance all of those things. Like let's talk about ground zero issues yeah. that have had, and then we can maybe work up from there. Yeah, so uh, so for the first two years, uh, we still lived two hours north, and we were still working our other jobs. And so basically, it was sneak as much of this as I can in during the day during my regular job. You know, do it with this really basic Yahoo web hosting site that I had thrown together, and talking to a a contracted graphic designer who was brand new, was cheap that I found. Uh, you know, taking the few orders that we could take, and then at nighttime. I'd box them up. Deidre would handwrite the shipping label because we didn't have a, a a label printer back then. We were handwriting them all. And during my lunch break at work the next day, I would sneak out, take them to the post office, go back to work. Then I'd finish work. I'd go to a grad school class. And then the next day I'd teach an academic class. And I was going to the gym super late and still like competing and doing all this. And so it was, it was chaos for a, a while. Uh, things certainly got a little easier, at least for me, when we moved here because I was running things full time, but we moved to a tiny two bedroom townhouse and I mean, basically, yeah, we were running it out of our apartment. You know, we had our, our basement sort of lined with boxes and I had a desk down there and I had a printer and I was, and I had boxes of shit and it was just this slow, like organic reach it, back then. It was a lot of Facebook before Instagram really took off and then it shifted to Instagram for a while, but it was just me talking about it as much as I could at the gym online and not just that, but also making a presence, uh, known of who I was as a person and what I, you know, what I believed in. So I talked a lot about a lot of things, uh, mostly fitness related stuff, but I talked about some controversial stuff too, and put so much information out there. And I think that was one thing that really carried us hard for the, through the beginning, especially was that I never wavered from who I am as a person. And as much as I had so many people like, you shouldn't say fuck on it on Facebook and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this. I'm like, but listen, if I, if I listen to every single person that tells me that I'm doing the wrong thing in some capacity, then I'll never do anything. Cause I, this is all the only thing I know what I know how to do is to, is what makes sense to me. And a lot of those challenges early on were trying to figure out how to run a business. And you know, if we, we can look back and, and think of how much we romanticized the process back then and tried to really, this this concept of integrity at at 100% all the time where I didn't bend at all. And looking back at that, like there were pros and cons to that. Uh, I certainly could have maintained at least the, my integrity and the message of what the company was about and still tried to monetize things a little better and still tried to not fuck us on the backend processes of things. Um, I didn't even hire help to box up orders until, I mean, it was probably seven, almost seven years in. I was doing it myself. I was doing all the customer service myself. It, that was ridiculous. It, and especially because we weren't making, you know, formally making money, we were growing and then turning it all back in and expanding the line. But I probably should have 
sought out some kind of help at some point early on and invested in at least a small amount of help so that I could focus on the bigger picture items, which is something that running your own business is difficult to do. It, it Especially the people that are so passionate about it and so creative about it. It's like, this is the thing you made. How am I supposed to give any of this to anybody else? How can I trust anybody else? Nobody else cares as much as me. Nobody else knows as much as me about this. And so that was something that we struggled with a lot was the fact that I was just overwhelmed with work. And Deidre still helped here and there. She was formerly our CFO. And when it came time to, you know, throw some ideas off, you know, out and make sure that I wasn't ruining our lives or to have, have her file our taxes, you know, and work with our accountant that way. Like outside of that, she was pretty distant from it. She was, she was supporting us. She had a, a career, a very intense career and was supporting us so that we could grow this thing. And, uh, and I just, it was, it was, I burned out a lot. Uh, there were a number of periods of time where I didn't plan appropriately. You know, it was so much of, of this thing in front of me, this tub, this perfecting this thing that I ignored all these backend things, the the credit card fees and the shipping fees and saving money for taxes that needed to be paid down the line that all of a sudden was like, oh, where are we going to pay these this money from, you know? Um, and there were a number of times that we almost went out of business, uh, legitimately almost went out of business. And thank God we weren't paying our bills with this because you can run out of shit and you're fine. Once you have to start paying for infrastructure or, or for staff or systems or any of this kind of stuff, you better make sure that you have everything buttoned up on the back end because every percent, every dollar, it matters at that point. Now, when you're brand new, you can sort of just wing it. But as you grow, if you want to monetize things, I would get as organized as possible relatively early on in, in a fledgling business to make sure that you're not making, you know, turning these small things into these huge fucking mistakes. Because when you're a, a business that does a thousand dollars, a 1% mistake doesn't matter. When you're a million dollar company, those mistakes matter a lot. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to just continue down that path with like talking about what Deidre does now for the business. So, so you mentioned that D was uh, working for Chase, like she was an accountant for Chase. And then, you know, now she obviously is working full time for, or maybe not obvious, she's working full time for Morphogen now. So when did that transition happen? What was that like? And now how is it trying to maintain some separation between kind of church and state there. And and this is something that a lot of our friends, if they all try and like kind of co-mingle their businesses with their spouses, and that's something that I've tried in the past and I've refused to do it now. So like I get to take this like outside in view, view, viewpoint and vantage point. So how is that for you guys? And like, what was that process like getting D like fully on board with Morphogen and away from, you know, this job that was previously supporting you guys? Yeah, so this is an idea that we had entertained for a number of years, uh, both in concept of of how it would work logistically and why it would make sense, but also, again, romanticizing the idea of, like, quit this corporate environment, work for yourself, work from home, be with me all day, you know, all these these grand gestures that sound really nice. And uh, it got basically got to the point that she, she was a stud at what she was doing at, at Chase, and it was also sort of becoming a dead end at, at some point. There was only so far she could move up the chain before it became something completely different, and then she would get lost in that. And we recognized that that was the path that she was going down. And it got to the point that the company was getting big enough that we needed more professional help uh, to help me organize things. Uh, we, you know, we had been looking for a building to purchase. We had uh, 
you know, some staff members, some part-time staff members that were helping us with fulfillment and, and these things. And ba and I just couldn't manage it. Um, I'm, I'm really great at very few things. Those few things I'm better than like anybody else. Deidre, on the other hand, is great at a lot of things, but she's not like the best in her field at these very few things like I am. And so I needed her to come in and be like, okay, let me manage the finances. Let me manage the the contracts with the employees and the taxes and all this kind of stuff. And it was, a it, we were at this crossroads of, okay, we can either invest in this in the company and pay somebody or you can do it. We, we can just pay us more. It's a risk, but you know, we're, we've done pretty well taking these, anal, you know, analytical risks over the years and uh it'll be two years or three years i think it'll be two years this summer um no it'll be it'll be three years soon actually it'll be three years which was super it was 2020 because we purchased uh so we moved into the house in december no it was 21 so we moved into the house you guys moved in the house in 2019 Okay, we moved to the house December of 19, so then it would have been uh, July of 20, she quit her job, and then August of 20, we signed the mortgage on the building that we purchased, and, you know, especially looking at it from an outsider's perspective, from our families especially, this is something we had been growing at that point in time, it had been, you know, nine years or so that we had been growing this, living in this small apartment, our two kids in one bedroom, you know, uh, because we had no space. And like you said, we, we had shit just packed in every crevice that we could possibly find. The garage, the living room, the basement. We were outgrowing it. And it was like, okay, invest in the future of, of what we're doing here. And yes, these this money is, it's hard to spend. You know, it's hard to, to do this. We had uh, a number of years ago, we had leased another warehouse space and that turned into a really poor business decision and we lost a lot of money. Um, and so going into this situation is like, we need space. I don't want to get locked into some five-year contract. If we purchase this, at least we own it. And we have the money in the bank to do this. We were fairly confident that we can pay these bills and, and have this not be an issue. But it was very uh, troubling for our families because they had no idea. You know, we, we had talked about, you know, how the company was, you know, we're going to this show and doing this and we had our customer in some other country and this and this, but they had no idea what the, the scope that we were at. So by the time she quit her job, we were a seven-figure brand, and our families had no idea. Now, obviously, that's not seven figures of profitable, right. but we were a seven, you know, a more than seven-figure sales brand. And, you know, within a six-month time span or eight-month time span, we built a brand new home in a affluent suburb of Columbus that is expensive with a lot of property taxes and you know all, all those things that come with it. And Deidre quit her job, a very lucrative job with the biggest bank in the world that had pension and 401k and we lost all that and then literally a couple months later we purchased a a decently sized office and warehouse building and then we spent a lot of money to renovate it and put a small gym in there and we hired several staff members full-time staff members all we did this like all at the same time and so everybody was very concerned and again it, it was a calculated risk and some of those things that we did we you know, in retrospect, I probably should have gone a little slower with that. I thought, you know, and, and thin things out a little bit more, but it, you know, it is what it is. We did it. And 
uh, we're still there today. So her role in the company house, you know, formally she's the CFO, but she's basically handling most of the shit that I can't do. Um, between she and I and Eric, who's our, our CFO, uh, we're like the tripod. And so I am the visionary. I'm the formulator. I'm the, basically the, the branding person. I'm the relationships person. I deal with all the manufacturers and the label companies and the graphic designers and, and all these sorts of things. Uh, Deidre is the organization. She is all the paperwork, all the HR, all the money, all the checks and balances. And Eric is all the systems and the logistics and the fulfillment and, and all the stuff that goes out to customers. And so it's, we're in a really good spot now that everybody kind of has these, these roles that are clearly defined in these, you know, jobs that we're getting better at being in. But even that transition, getting her in was rough. Um, I was so overwhelmed that I just was like, hooray, I have help. And I just tossed her all this stuff. And I'm like, she's an accountant. She's smarter than me. She could do any of this shit. And in reality, she can. But it took me years to be able to manage any of that stuff on my own. And I was still fucking it up. But it took me years. And I mean, almost, a, you know, I, I had been doing this for, uh, you know, like nine years at this point in time the finances and the, you know, and everything. And so I just tossed it to her. And so for the first almost two years of that, uh, it was pretty rocky to be honest with you. Um, it was very difficult to like sort of wear, you know, wear the owner's hats at work and wear the couple hat at home. And we're also parents. And so it's like, when are we parents? Are we always parents? Are we always coworkers, co-owners? Am I her boss? Am I not her boss? Are we still in love? How do we manage her relationship? <laughs> like it was, it was, it was a lot. And, uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell anybody that it was, uh, you know, smooth at all. It was rough. Uh, and I fucked up a lot for sure. And I, we're finally in a good spot and it's still, it, it's a constant process. We are working at this daily. We have a couples therapist that specializes in couples that own businesses together and also, uh, you know, coincidentally, uh, open relationships, polyamory, all that kind of stuff. So like she's worth every cent. Um, and, and we both had a lot of growth with how we can foster our connection and communicate and deal with conflict and, and all these sorts of things. But it's been a hell of a rough journey the entire time that we've been doing this together. Worth it. Absolutely. But there's been a few times that it's like, maybe you should just go back to chase and maybe I should just hire somebody else. And we both kind of felt a little bit of that at times. Um, ultimately realizing that that was, was based out of stress and fear and not based on what we actually needed. We just needed more uh, delineation of, of who we are and what hat we wear at which environment. And so it's like, especially when we on days like today when we're working from home, she has her office upstairs and I don't bother her. Yeah. That's her space. And if we're at the office, we don't dive into personal shit as much as we can. Yeah, it gets brought up here and there, but like we're not trying to like solve our children's problems and set up doctor's appointments and talk about family, you know, shit that we have to do and, and holidays and what we don't talk about that in the office. We try not to. We try to do that in this room. And we try to not work in this room because this room is it's a happy room. It's a social room. This is the room that we come down and enjoy each other's company at the end of the night. You're in your basement for reference for anybody who's not I, I'm in a, I'm in a, yeah, it's a half level uh, movie room basement that is fucking dope as hell. And this is where we, this is where we come down and relax. This is where our friends come over and we have TV and I have a lot of movie props and toys and bullshit in here. And this is my, roller this is my blades. yeah, roller blades. Roller <laughs> <laughs> no. So, um, so that I really appreciate you talking about all that stuff. And, and this is something that 
I've always admired about you from like, honestly, the first time I ever met you was just like the rawness of, of who you are and like your, your ability to just be open about everything and like not really repress what you're feeling, how you're thinking, the shit that you're dealing with. And like, that's kind of goes back to that integrity aspect of like how you built Morphogen where it's just, it's very built around just that, that trust and that truth and that honesty from who you are to like what the products are and how they work. Right. Like there's just not a lot of like corners being cut no matter where you are. Um, but it, I feel like I've been able to, uh, to luckily be around you and Deidre and your relationship for a long time. Um, you know, it's been since like 2019, well, maybe 2020 was whenever we really, really started like, you know, hanging out and doing stuff outside of just like me stopping by and picking up supplements every once in a while. But, um, but I, I feel like I've been able to kind of be in the passenger seat for a lot of your relationship and for better, or for worse at a, a lot of these times. And same thing for my relationships. You've seen the, the good and you've seen some of like the really, really bad. Um, and it's been, it's been fun. It's been a journey, but, um, something that I am endlessly appreciative of from being your friend and being around you and D is the fact that you guys have opened my mind to a lot of things. And one of those things is what you alluded to before was the open relationship, the polyamory, the ability to be with other people in a loving, healthy relationship. And prior to becoming really close friends with you, I was married and it was unfortunately a failing, failed marriage by the time that we had you know, really gotten close. Um, and that was never anything that my mind ever crossed. <laughs> like I never thought of that. That never seemed like any kind of thing to bring up or a solution. It definitely was not a solution to my problems, but um, you know, you know this, and I, I talked in previous episodes about this or alluded to it, but like the big reason why my prior marriage failed was I was unfaithful. I had a big problem with that. Um, so being around you and being around D and us having so, so many deep conversations about what that lifestyle entails and putting faces to what is taboo, it normalizes it a lot and it makes it feel more real and it makes it feel very less weird. Because whenever you think of swingers, you don't think of you and DJ. <laughs> like most people think of like just the weirdest, you know, fucking couples prowling at the bar, whenever like lights go on at the end of the night, like just waiting to sneak in and snatch someone. That's not you and D. Well, not normally you, but um, <laughs> but I, I I want you to talk about kind of what your relationship is like. Um, maybe we can go back to how that was initially brought up. You did say that you talked about, you know, you you just signed you and D up for a swingers website. Um, don't know if that's really the best way about going about it, but um, you want to talk about kind of how that came to be. Um, maybe bring up the the swingers show for a second. We can touch on that. Um, and then maybe also kind of talk about different aspects of open relationships or swinging, or maybe even talking about polyamory, because I'm sure a lot of people have no fucking idea what the difference is between some of these things. And there are very clear differences. So I'm going to give you the floor because you can speak to this a lot better than I can. Yeah. So, uh, so basically the foundation of kind of how all this started was at least for us, it was trauma, childhood trauma. Uh, I had a rough childhood in my, you know, formative years, the, you know, the 11 to 14 puberty sort of range, uh, severe, severe mental health problems. 
Um, my, my family had split up due to an affair. I had a lot of jaded views on sexuality, uh, largely in part, you know, because of that. But also I was struggling socially at school because I was still the kid that was trying to do everything as genuinely as it felt, but also trying to fit into all these groups and not really finding my place anywhere. Uh, I also had a lot of very complex thoughts as a kid about a lot of things, and it was too much for my peers, and it was too much for my parents. And so I felt so much like a burden, like I couldn't connect anybody. And so Deidre, on her end, sort of had to grow up fast. She uh, she had way too much trust and freedom uh, at certain points in time and was exposed to you know, some groups of people that probably were not the best uh, you know, and she was taken advantage of by an older boyfriend uh, when she was relatively young who, you know, pushed the sex thing. And her very first time, uh, you know, she's spoken on this publicly, so I'm comfortable sharing this. But the very first time she when she lost her virginity, she felt very coerced and forced into it. And then the condom broke and she was afraid she was going to get pregnant. And, you know, can you imagine that terror of a of a 14 year old who has this. And then literally a week later found out that he also was cheating on her with her best friend. And so it's like, here, here you are, just gave this up to this person who then hurt you with your other closest person. And you thought you were going to get pregnant and ruin your whole life. You can't trust anybody. And so she, she closed up and then was set up with some people, you know, a year or two later through some really close friends, uh, with a guy that's supposed to be a really great guy, family friend. And he raped her. And, you know, she never told her family and she, none of her friends at the time believed her because she was the one that had sex and well, yeah, I'm sure he didn't. And, you know, this whole thing. And so she had a lot of trauma and shame wrapped around all that. So when I came into the picture, it was a perfect storm of like, neither one of us are going to push this situation. And me feeling like I could never connect with anybody just was desperate to open up and just to be everything and to learn everything about another person, like at the heart, even the hardship. So from day one, I said, you know, we're going to talk about everything, everything, every deep thing. And if it drives us apart, then we are not meant to be together. And I've always felt that as a person, if you throw all the chips out on the table, the people that can't handle that are not your people. So don't put your energy in them. It doesn't mean they're bad people and doesn't mean you have to have any sort of like, you know, malice towards them, but they're not your people. And who you are as a person obviously evolves over time and the people that are going to be able to handle that evolution, you know, can come and go, you know, as life moves forward. But we took that approach from the beginning and we didn't push our own sex. And, you know, we, we actually didn't even have sex for over two years together. We certainly did some other shit, but <laughs> we didn't have like actual, you know, intercourse yeah. for a while. And, and you were, you were still a virgin at this point. Yeah. And I, again, sort of this like jaded mentality and I, and I didn't want to get lost in it and have this define us. And as I sort of was viewing, you know, peers or family members or all these sorts of things. And so then, you know, fast forward several years after that. And we had a very tight knit group of friends that, you know, had existed since high school and we're all like family. And one of those guys had a girlfriend that he brought home from summer for, uh, brought home from college for the summer. She ended up living with us for about six weeks because basically nobody else had anywhere for her to go. Nobody else was in really any serious relationships for the most part. One other guy was. And so her and Deidre became really close friends pretty quick. And towards the end of that summer, 
we all went to a wedding. We decided to share a hotel room with them because, you know, we're all pork, you know, both college kids at our first jobs. And uh, it just kind of went in this direction back at the hotel room. Certainly alcohol was involved where uh, Deidre and the other woman had her first girl experience. And a friend of mine and I were there front row center for the whole time. High five in the whole time. High five in the whole time. Yeah. Pillows over our dicks. High five. <laughs> <laughs> Pillows. Got a boner. I don't want you to see it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and this, this sort of, at least for us, opened us up because we were not aware that any of this kind of stuff, we were so naive to everything. Sex and drugs was not anything that we were ever exposed to at all in any capacity. And so this was brand new. And instead of getting super hyper jealous and insecure, like I used to be thinking about her and her ex-boyfriend, I realized uh, over the course of, you know, those probably five years or so that we were together, that that was a reflection of my own insecurity. You know, I was so caught up in her experiencing this with another person before I came around and having these, not just feelings, but these physical sensations and these experiences that it like, it drove me insane. And I was like, I'm so upset at this because I am unsure that I can deliver the same thing. And I am unsure if I am equipped to do it. You know, it's like, did he have a bigger dick? Is my dick smaller? I, you know, all this crazy shit. And it's a reflection of my own bullshit. And once I realized that, uh, for me at least, it sort of just 180 pretty quick. And it was like, wow, I'm not afraid of losing this person at all because I'm great and we're great. And if for some reason this goes in a direction that it, it doesn't last, then it's not meant to last because we are operating at this 100% transparency level. So if it, if it falls apart, it, then it's not, it, nothing could have fixed it at that point. You know, we can't fake our way through it. Uh, and so that first experience with her really, you know, started a lot of heavy conversations around what does this mean? You know, everybody always, you know, jokes about like, you know, the girls that are drunk and make out at a bar, but like, this was a lot having no prior experience with this whatsoever. And it's like, okay, is this a fluke? Is this a thing that you've thought about? Is this a thing that we should incorporate? And like, and then she's like, but what would you be with another woman? And I'm like, honestly, like, yeah, I would. And so for us, we, we spent a couple of years, you know, in these deep discussions and revisiting it. We watched a lot of scenario based, you know, porn, couple swapping porn and threesome porn and things and talked about what was happening and put ourselves in those situations and assigned people to those roles and said, okay, if I was doing this right now to so-and-so, it would be a pleasurable experience. And I trust this person and I care for this person, but I'm not in love with this person. And you're right next to me and we're experiencing this together and you're having an experience of your own. And so uh, when it came time to sign us up on this thing, it wasn't like, you know, I just dropped the hammer. Uh, it was it was me finally, you know, taking that leap. And at least it, and signing us up was pretty harmless, to be honest with you. Our face wasn't out there in the, for the whole world to see at this point. And uh, it was exciting. It was a lot of new people that had similar experiences you know a lot of by curiosity with the female was a high driving force in that lifestyle and we met a lot of really incredible people that were very transparent very genuine and i was like man this is like a whole other world of of awesome can't have anybody find out because everybody's gonna hate us and they're gonna judge us and after a couple of years of sort of like sneaking around and doing this you know there are the people that do this and it's like hyper secret they do this in another city once a quarter Nobody, nobody knows, not even their best friends. Well, we started to incorporate a lot of these people into our social life, inviting them to birthdays, all this kind of shit. And after a while, I just got old of telling these bullshit backstories on how we became friends. And 
our our core group of friends from back home, like they could tell something was up. And I said, look, I, I'm tired of doing this. I, I want to live as genuinely as I can. I'm not ashamed of these decisions that we've made because we've come to this point after an extensive amount of growth together. And we didn't do anything recklessly or dangerously or haphazardly. And, and it was very calculated and yes, risky, but you know, it, it was worth that. And so when we, we initially opened up to a lot of our, our friends and, uh, you know, some of our siblings, I said, look, here's, here's the deal. I'm not inviting you in. I'm not going to tell you any intimate details of this, but here's the situation at hand. I'm tired of lying. And for the most part, it was received. Okay. Uh, I had a few friends that took it rather poorly, one of which took it very poorly. And he and I no longer speak, uh, because of it. Um, Dieter's friends all took it pretty well, uh, which was great. And that was that. And then, you know, networking in that whole world, there were, you know, there were websites, there were clubs that you could go to, there were events. Um, we got added to a couple of Facebook groups that were pretty big. One of which was a really big midways, Midwest based, uh, group. And that group was different because it was a lot of like our real profiles. A lot of people in, in the non-monogamy world will create couples profiles that have like fake names. It'll say like B and D, B and, you know, Ben and Deidre, but it's B and D and it's ultra private and they only friend request these other people and they join these groups. But this group was different. It was like, this is who I actually am. And this is who my wife actually is. And you have to get referred into here as not only being somebody that can, uh, manage the privacy of the group, but somebody that took care of themselves, you know, because in this world, there's a spectrum, a wide spectrum, as there are in any world. And you get, you get people that handle things differently. And that's great for those people. The way that we handle things is so different than the way that so many people handle things, but what works for them is what works for them. So, so we represented sort of this, this idea that this could be done by people that look like us, act like us, speak like us, have careers like us and integrated into their life and not have it be such a wild concept. And we put a face to that. And so that Facebook group got some uh, national recognition for some things. And uh, that's a much longer story that we don't have time for. But basically, uh, we ended up on a reality TV show that showcased couples in open marriages of some capacity and how they manage this in their life. And it wasn't a raunchy show. There was no nudity or any of this kind of stuff. It was a show about relationships. It was a show about how each couple manages this in the context of their own relationship, but also how does the social group work? Do I fuck my friend's wife? Does he get upset? Or do we not fuck our friends and we fuck strangers? And how does this work? And what if somebody gets pregnant? And what if this? And, and it was all, it was so much based on that. Uh, and even that show, we had time to figure out because they shot the pilot and the show didn't get picked up. We just happened to be in the pilot because we were like extras at a house party with the main guy that was, you know, one of our closest friends at the time. And then two years later, the show got picked up by a much larger production company. And they were like, we're making this show. And so they recast the show. We got chosen for the show and we got put into this spotlight of these like top three couples being featured on the show with a lot of supporting cast, you know, coming in and out. And we filmed that show in the fall of 2014 into the winter of 15 with some, you know, there's a lot of like pickup scenes and audio recordings and things you have to do later on. And then the show aired in the spring of 15. And during the whole period of time that we were filming it, we couldn't tell anybody contractually. And so thankfully we lived here. We 
we had an alibi because the business was growing and we were going to bodybuilding shows pretty regularly and, you know, and networking. So we just told our families that we were away for the company every weekend. Well, no, we weren't, we were filming a TV show and you know, then we got, we basically got noticed that, you know, it was in February, I think of that year that commercials are going to air on Tuesday next week, nationally, this show is going to be on A and E commercials are going to be on every fucking network. They're going to interview some of the, you know, the, the main cast people on entertainment tonight. Like the, the, we're going to be in magazines. This is going to be a thing. Start telling your people. And so we, we tried as best as we could to organize, to sit down with some very important people in our life, our parents, people like that, and, you know, some close friends that we hadn't told yet or some colleagues, you know, whatever, and basically sit them down and say, look, here's what's happening. And that was a lot. Uh, we the, some of the people that I thought would take it very poorly were very supportive of us. Uh, some people that I thought would be hit and miss were very, very uh, intolerant of it. And, you know, we basically got this own from our one side of our family for about a year. And there were a lot of hateful things said, uh, both to me and publicly and to the family about a lot of things and, you know, misunderstandings for people that had never even watched the show, never even heard my story. And that was the biggest thing. It's like, how dare you? speak on this and say these evil things that you're saying when you don't even know the story. If I, if I tell you my entire story and how I came to these conclusions, how it impacts our relationship and how this uh, reflects my beliefs as a person, and you still hate me, then that's fine. But you can't hate me for your misunderstanding of what you think that this means. And ultimately, that's a reflection of your insecurity, just like jealousy is, just like any of this is. And, uh, you know, that, that took a few years of working through sort of some of those relationships to mend those things and have some greater understanding and, and respect. And at the same time that a lot of that healing was occurring, you know, we started a family. We had children that were, you know, being integrated into our, our families and our social groups and all these things. And so that obviously was something, another facet of this and that it, you know, both positively in the sense that it brought us around and gave, gave us another talking point, but also negatively because it was like, well, how is this going to affect your children? Like, I don't know. Do you fuck in front of your children? Because I don't. Like, they're not going to know. And when they're old enough to know, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? You know what they're going to know? They're going to know that we are highly committed to each other. By the time they are going to know, we would have been together for almost like 30 years. And ho hopefully, you know, it, in you know, the way we've, we've spoken about it, and hopefully maintained an incredible relationship that entire time and not totally fucked everything up and also raised children that are very uh, understanding and tolerant and and independent in their thought. And so like, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. And I remember one person goes, what if your kids grew up to be swingers? I said, I hope they are. I hope, I hope they evolve beyond that because I know where my life has gone because of these decisions that we've made and the risk we've taken and, and the levels of connection and experience and intimacy and also challenge that have brought us further ahead in life. I hope my children have every bit of that. And if they don't, then that's cool too. They can do whatever the fuck they want as long as they are doing it from a place of genuine intent and, uh, you know, calculated, intelligent, you know, thought behind it, then fuck yes. Then fuck yes. Yeah. And go ahead. Yeah, it rocked, it rocked the boat a lot. And, you know, very similar to how, you know, I, I, I did a lot of things differently with the company and I did a lot of things different with our marriage. And it's like, yeah, I, I rocked the boat a lot. And, I made mistakes, but ultimately I, I did the things that felt right. And every time I did that, our life went in a better direction in a, in a more fruitful direction. And now I'm in this position where I do have a lot of respect 
because it's all come for full circle. You know, we did lose our business. We didn't lose our careers. We didn't lose our family, our relationship. Uh, you know, we have this home, we have our business, we have all these things. And it's like, yeah, uh, I, I did it. I did all the things I made it after years and years and years and years of work, but I deserve this. And thank you for the respect and thank you for listening and for understanding and, and opening people's eyes to this whole thing. And so when you're looking at, you know, the, the finer nuances of non-monogamy, of course there, you know, we started off as swingers, as partner swapping people, uh, even in the swinger world, there's a whole bunch of levels to it. You know, if you've ever, ever fucked in the same room as your friend, you're a swinger. If you have, I mean, how many people have in college fucked in the same room as their fucking friend because they needed a place to fuck somebody or done it in the dorm room? Everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, and, and how many girls have, you know, dabbled with this, you know, a lot. A lot, especially in the context of a monogamous relationship with a guy, but the guy was supportive. Hey, guess what? That counts too. Uh, you know, oh, you guys randomly having a threesome with your friend one night. That counts too, you know? And so swinging traditionally is is in, in the context of a dedicated relationship, having sexual experiences together with other people in, in some capacity. Uh, evolving beyond that, you have... Uh, kind of what's considered open it's very generic where it's basically we can do that with other people but we don't have to be in the same we don't have to be around so like you can go off and fuck somebody else come home you know everybody has different levels as to how much they're willing to divulge or you know is it a don't ask don't tell or is it a get permission first is it a take videos and show me when you get home or is it a, i don't want to hear about it but you can do it and as long as i know you're safe everybody's a little bit differently uh and then beyond that you have polyamory and polyamory is Basically, the idea that you can have more intense, intimate, you know, romantic relationships with other people on some level outside of a primary partnership. And then even in the poly world, there's a million different ways you can do it. Uh, you know, there's hierarchical poly polyamory where you have a primary partner and then you have secondary and maybe tertiary partners. Um, there are some people that are relationship anarchists and they don't believe that these positions should exist. And it's like, I can do whatever I want with anybody and you fit into my life where you fit in and I fit into yours where I fit in. But like having this title doesn't mean that I can't develop something over here. That's potentially more than I have with you. I want the freedom to, to do whatever I want. Uh, there are people that are polyamorous and single. They're not in relationships and they casually date whoever they want with no, you know, I would hope no guilt or shame, but also no, uh, you know, permission to be sought or, you know, and that's something I've always been baffled at. It's like, you were like, bro, I can't believe you let your wife fuck other people. I'm like, L let her. I do, she's not a slave. <laughs> I don't own her. <laughs> her body is not mine. It's hers. She shares it with me. Yes, and that's fantastic. And she shares her life with me. And that's incredible. I don't own her shit. Now, is there going to be a problem if we have a an understood level of expectation that is mismanaged? Of course. Yeah. You work through that. When you find a, a place of agreement and, uh, you know, behavioral modification that fits into this mold. Uh, for us, you know, we've, we tried some pretty intense polyamory stuff a number of years ago. We were in a couple pretty serious relationships over the course of time uh, in triads with another female, a couple different females. And one of them went really poorly uh, for a number of reasons that I take large responsibility for a lot of uh, manic depression and a lot of not facing my own bullshit, you know, 
very rough period of time with the business, uh, having our son prematurely, fearing that we were going to lose him in the birth, losing our do family dog right after that, you know, all these things wrapped in a row. And then I basically threw myself into this other woman and for the first time in my life, didn't act genuinely. I ignored all those things that felt misaligned from what were in me. And I said, I'm just going to do this because this is what I want, you know, and it's, and I almost ruined everybody's life. And now I can look back at that and say, you know, I'm not even the same person as that person, but I can offer a lot of guidance and wisdom to other people and also offer a lot of reassurance in my own relationship that like, yeah, I don't want to hurt you again. And I don't want to hurt other people again, but I don't want to hurt myself either. I lost myself more more than anybody. And so we've, we've learned a lot. And these days, you know, we don't have the container to have these deep, dedicated, intimate relationships. Yeah. We, we have very deep, intimate relationships with other people, but they're not, there's not a titled expectation to this. You know, it's like, listen, when this happens and when we have the time and the energy for this, then great. But when we don't, like, I may not be able to be there for this. I have other shit. I have a business and a family and, and you know, a lot of friends that we travel and there's just so much going on. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a constant evolution of how we get to express our own individuality within the context of a partnership, of a very dedicated lifelong partnership. So what would you classify you and, you and D to be? Open? So that's a great question. So the word poly was sort of a trigger point for Dieter for a long time because of what happened in the past. It, it has gotten brought up a lot more in recent history. I identify as a polyamorous person more as an orientation. And that's something that, uh, you know, John has talked about publicly and that seems to be a, a new thing that's popping up is you can have a sexual orientation, of course, but what is your relationship orientation? And there are some people that may choose to be polyamorous or choose to be monogamous, but what are you at the core? And for me, I've been monogamous. I was monogamous for 10 years and, and we go through long spurts of monogamy, but I am a polyamorous person. I am a person that thrives on connection. Yeah, I love freedom of choice. I love, you know, exciting sexual experiences for the sake of having those. Absolutely. But I thrive off connection. And again, going back to childhood trauma, I want to be understood and I want to understand people and I want to share in a deeper sense of what that means. And to do that, you have to be your full self. And the more vulnerable you can be with somebody, yeah, you run the risk of, of damage, of being harmed, but you also can reach new heights of connection even in a deep friendship with a person. If you can't be your full self, you can't be as close of friends. One capacity uh, that, that people have in them to be vulnerable is their sexuality, of course. And so when you wrap that into that loop, it's only natural that somebody like me would find, you know, meaningful relationships with other people on some level, whether it's, uh, a, you know, a short fleeting thing with somebody that's, you know, new, or it's a, somebody that's been our close friend for the better part of 10 years. Yeah, you know, we 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 more operate as an open couple. Uh, we that I, I say I say we you know even the way that Dieter and I operate individually is so different from each other. But in the context of us, I'll just say we you know there might be casual you know hookups with somebody, and there might be like more drawn out like overnight date experiences. You know the whole spend a whole day together. You know and get a you know go out date hotel do do the whole thing. Um, we don't travel with other people individually. Uh, it's not to say that we never will. There's no capacity for us to do anything like that right now. We spend significant amounts of time in the, you know, uh, 
in the company of another person without, you know, maybe Deidre being involved. Uh, and then there are people that we certainly have uh, dated together, even casually in recent history, or, you know, still kind of figure out exactly where these sorts of, you know, relationship boundaries lie that make us feel safe, especially to make Dieter feel safe uh, because of the things that I've done in the past that, you know, I'm still atoning for those sins. Uh, so we operate kind of more formally open, but I'm definitely a polyamorous person. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, I think a few times in there, like the expectations, the expectations are, are where all of that trust comes from. It doesn't matter necessarily what's actually being done. It matters what your relationship can expect to be done and what those boundaries are. And I think that's really the crux of what like non-monogamy comes down to is like, no matter what the rules are within your relationship, you have to define those rules. You have to talk about those rules. You have to understand what those boundaries are collectively as that, that partnership, or even if it's beyond just a partnership, if it's something more than that in a polyamorous relationship. And those things cannot be breached. Those lines cannot be breached because then it goes back to similar, you know, standards as what a monogamous relationship is. You, you have crossed the line and now it is something that is prohibited. And I, I think that's what a lot of people get confused with, with non-monogamy is that they're so used to this, you know, dichotomy of there is either cheating or there is not cheating. There is either you having only sex with your partner or there's you having sex with other people and that's bad. And they can't really wrap their head around how a relationship can be successful, especially a relationship that is also incorporating children can be successful and healthy, but also you can include this other aspect in the background or even the foreground that is in bringing other people into it. And what are some of the questions that you guys frequently get that would just be people not understanding the, the lifestyle? Maybe there are like some really common misconceptions that, that people just frequently, they get wrong and they don't necessarily understand, or it's just, you know, uh, a complication of, of what that lifestyle entails. Are there like some pretty frequent things that come up that, that you've had to answer repeatedly? Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially when we were doing the TV show okay. um, and we got the same fucking questions for years. Um, everybody's always concerned about the kids. How's this going to affect the kids? What are we going to tell the kids? All the same shit. It's like, listen, I don't know. What are you going to tell your kids about your sexual relationship when they're five? I, I don't know. Like I have 10 years to think about that. I'll figure it out when I get there, you know? Um, it, questions. I mean, like one thing that we get to is, is a lot of, uh, you know, the morality aspect of it. Like, do, you know, do you, I remember my mom, first thing she said was, do you think you're sinning? Mm -hmm. I'm an atheist and she knows this. Mom, I'm not, I'm not discussing about religion. She goes, I don't mean religion. She goes, you know, I just mean like, do you think that what you're doing is wrong? Yeah. I said, do you think that you raised a child that consciously does things that are wrong, knowing they're going to harm people? She goes, no. I said, then why would you ask me that question? If I thought it was wrong, I would do it. If I thought it was wrong, I would I would hide it from the world and not put it on a fucking TV show. What's and, what's the word for the the opposite of jealousy? We've talked about this. I always fucking forget it. Compersion. So compersion is a word that was uh, coined by the poly community, uh, you know, decades ago, and it's basically the opposite of jealousy. And so when you look at at you know what jealousy in, encompasses, you know, all, all those sorts of you know, it, it's a it's a mix of feelings, right? Uh, it's it's mostly fear. It's fear of loss, losing something that is yours or some experience that is yours or a person that you have access to due to some factor that ultimately reflects upon incompatibility or insecurity. And so if 
I'm giving too much attention to another woman and neglecting the amount of attention that Deidre needs, she's going to get jealous, naturally. If the expectation is that at this party, I'm going to talk to other women, and she knows that and she is aware of that and has agreed to that, then that becomes a non-issue. If, if just in life, if she is completely fulfilled and I'm giving her all the attention that she requires and I have extra energy to give other people, there's no reason to get jealous because she is fulfilled. And, you know, it goes in both directions with any number of things. And so uh, compersion is essentially finding joy in other people's joy. And so one of the best examples is people that have children. If something happens to my child that I have nothing to do with, doesn't affect me at all, and they're joyous, it brings me joy. And even deeper than that, if I have to give something to bring my child joy, as long as it doesn't cause me, you know, severe pain, right? Like, you know, emotional, physical pain. If I have to sacrifice something or make something happen or, you know, whatever, to bring my child pain, I, I still derive pleasure from that experience, joy from that experience. So it's not a completely selfless, you know, give to, to this person because it makes me feel good about myself. It brings me fulfillment. And so compersion is that joy. And it's, you know, I, I went from, you know, 20 years ago being the most stereotypical, jealous, asshole, possessive boyfriend to being this person that has so much compersion filled up in me and to know that Deidre still battles this, this, you know, fear of safety and this trauma from her past that when, when I see her have an experience with somebody, let's say it's a guy and I see her completely let loose in that situation and enjoy herself with no reservations to see the person that I love more than life itself. After seeing what I've, you know, experience with her and what we've gone through and knowing what she's gone through in that moment, overcome that, that's an indescribable amount of joy that I, I, I only hope people could get a glimpse of in their life, you know, and experience these things. And yeah, there's a risk involved in getting there, but the reward is so rich. And again, a lot of that comes down to managing expectations and also self-belief. I know that she's not going to go anywhere. I know she's not going to find a better lover than me. If by some chance she finds a guy that has better skill, I will learn from that guy and I will do it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It, continue, but I'm not going to cut you off. Keep going. No, I was going to say it's just, you know, that's, that's sort of the, uh, you know, the, the, how can you do this? How can you, how can you watch this person? How can you allow it? How can you do this? And then they was, I could never do this. Okay. I didn't ask if you could. Well, I just want to let you know that, you know, I just don't think that's right. I didn't ask you what you thought. We get a, we get a lot of like, you know, imposed beliefs on, on us where people say these things to us either outright like that, or they form it in the, in the form of a question and what they're looking for validation of their own decisions to live at whatever level that they're at. But so often than not, these are people that also have suppressed a lot of themselves and have an innate curiosity about what I'm doing. And they can't, it's like they wrestle with that, you know, it's like, how can this person be doing these things that I am so uncomfortable with and they're thriving? Something must be off here. So I'm going to ask them and try to figure out what's off to justify my own mediocrity or tell them that they're wrong and that they're doing too much and they're harming people so that I feel good about the mediocrity that I'm living. But ultimately it's a, it's a reflection of who they are as a person and how much that they are stifling their own you know, expression as a person. Yeah. And I don't know if you've really noticed this, but like, in the past few years, I feel like a lot of um, 
a lot of people are becoming much more open to the idea of being open. Um, maybe it's just a product of our friend group and just the people that we know, the people that we're surrounded by more more often. Um, but I I definitely feel like just maybe the past two, three, five years, um, this has just become much more common. And I'm seeing it more frequently now. Maybe people are being more more vocal and more public about the things that they're doing or previously were doing in private. Um, but I know just personally, like I've tried it and I don't know if non-monogamy is for me, mostly because I just don't have the energy. Like I have my girlfriend, Lex is great. Lex takes up a lot of my energy and the rest pretty much goes to work. So like outside of that, like I don't really have the, the energy to try and like maintain another relationship with another woman. Um, but like, you know, definitely have given it a, a shot. And like, those things were fun whenever they were going on. Um, in post marriage, I was definitely what you would have said was like a, what a relationship anarchist. I was definitely in that mode. I was like, fuck all this shit. I'm gonna do whatever I want. Um, and that definitely was not good for me either. But, um, there are a few questions I know that people are going to have. And one of them is probably one of the first questions I had too was, do you fuck all your friends or do you guys try to fuck all of your friends? You know, we get, so we get that, we get the friend question a lot and we get the question about, uh, you know, this, the freedom aspect, like, oh, so you just do whatever you want, whenever you want, you fuck anybody that you want. Uh, no, the answer is no. <laughs> and, and the way that I always frame it too, is that like, for me, at, at least for me, you're like, don't you want to do that? I'm like, if I think about a scenario that might be enticing and I think long-term about the repercussions of, you know, pursuing that situation, if ultimately that's going to harm the jury that I'm on, that I'm on, even beyond the other people involved, then it turns it into a situation that I no longer want to do. Yes, it's intriguing, of course. Uh, no, we don't fuck all of our friends. Now, we do have people that are our friends that have dabbled with us in this kind of stuff or with other people that we know, uh, absolutely. We also have people that we've done this with who have become close friends, absolutely. Um, but especially in our in all of our big social circles, it, there is a lot of open-mindedness and common understanding, but no, we definitely do not fuck all of our friends. Uh, no. <laughs> I like some strange as much as the next guy, so <laughs> we're not all friends. <laughs> no, and um, it, like I... I definitely think that um, a lot of what you and D have been open about in the past, I don't know, like when did you guys start talking about this publicly? You said like, I mean, obviously the show came out in what, 2015, 2016? The show came out in spring of 2015. We told siblings and close friends probably two years before that maybe. We started, uh, so we got married in January of 11. We I signed us up on the site in August of 11. We had our first experience with a couple on Halloween of 2011. And we didn't tell anybody until probably 2013, give or take. So it's been all, all around 10 years that some people have known. And then once the TV show came out, like the whole fucking world knows. Uh, my grandma saw the show, you know, like theaters it, have a magazine with us in their living room in a center page spread and in there's a photo of us being cute. And then there's a photo of Deidre sitting on a couch, kissing another woman. And her parents have that sitting in their fucking living room. <laughs> well, I know that we've talked before in the past about like taboo things, like societal taboos and how I'm 
personally very attracted to things that are are taboo. And whether that's, you know, tattoos, whether that is drugs, whether that is just ideology, whether that's, you know, sexual orientations and relationships, like I'm, I'm intrigued, even if it's not necessarily something I want to dabble in personally, I just, I like understanding the thought process that goes behind how people can get to that level of kind of extreme thinking. And like, especially towards that side of like society where you're risking rejection to continue doing the things that you're doing. And it's like, why are you making those decisions? What is pushing you to to pursue that that activity? And I think that every taboo kind of needs like spokesmen and spokespeople for it. They need like it needs a face. It needs like a, a personification of it because you can Google, you know, polyamory and you can get a Wikipedia article pulled up, and that doesn't really do much to put a face to what that information is telling you. But whenever you have someone like you or like Deidre or like John who are able to really clearly articulate what this lifestyle is about. And also, it, like I said, it's not like this grungy dude in the back of a bar who's just like waiting to like pounce, right? Like you guys are living very professional, very put together lives. Like, it, like it, it's not the typical thought of what a swinger open relationship, polyamorous relationship would be. Um, and like, I'm glad that you guys are doing, that. I'm glad that like, you know, you've been public about it. I hope that you continue to be really public about it. And I want people to get more of an idea and more of an acceptance to polyamory, but also open relationships in general. And like you said, the, the conversion aspect of things, because whenever you and I had that initial conversation years ago, and you brought that up and you explained to me, you were like, I don't understand why people think that an experience that someone else has independent of them affects their life, you know? And you put, probably put it in better words than I could there, but I was really struggling with, with like my own relationships at the moment. And like I had back then I had never experienced anything other than monogamy. And I was a very jealous person previously. And I still definitely have bouts of jealousy where like, that's something that I'm, you know, continuously trying to work through. And for anybody who's listening, like Ben, you did not just wake up one day and decide to not be jealous. Like it was a really long fucking process. It's still, and the thing is, is it's still, it's always going to happen in some capacity, yeah. e even in the best of couples that are so experienced. And it's, it's working through that and finding where that comes from. Cause it, maybe it is justified. Maybe it's justified because there needs to be a behavior modification. Maybe somebody is doing something that is making the other person uncomfortable and they don't even know. So maybe it, maybe it's rightly so, and maybe it's also something internal that needs to be worked through. That is a chance for this person to become a better version of themselves. And so, a small amount of healthy jealousy on occasion is a good thing. And maybe you're not in the relate in the right relationship yeah. to those things too. You know, like if you are with someone who consistently has those patterns of behavior that makes you outwardly or even internally jealous you might not be with the right person to experience or experiment with these types of relationships. And I think that's okay too, right? Like not saying that it's right or wrong, but open relationships definitely are not for everyone, you know? And people that jump into this type of lifestyle without knowing the repercussions and consequences of doing these types of things, they can ruin relationships. Like, and another thing you had always talked about before with me was being in an open relationship is not for people who are unfaithful. It's not for people who are, are looking for a reason to cheat. You, it has to be beyond that. It has to be something more. So do you want to talk about that for a second? Because like, again, this was a big issue for me previously was like, I was, I was unfaithful. I had issues 
with uh with with not cheating and um and whenever we had these conversations before i was like okay i really need to work through this shit because if this is ever something that i am going to get to the point of maybe even like contemplating trying i can't do it for those reasons you know so do you, do you want to talk about that for a second yeah so so that's another thing that we always get the question on is well do you think it's cheating or what constitutes cheating and again it's managing expectations but you know, psychologically, when you look at cheating, and I'm certainly no expert on this, but when, you know, things that I've read say that it's not necessarily about the other person, about the act of sex or the, the, the romance or the emotional connection, it's this person doing something for themselves without this like level of permission, you know, this, this, this struggle with their own autonomy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. So now you have all the freedom in the world. It's like, well, now I don't care. Yeah. Anymore. And that's that and the thing is there are cheaters in the swing community and the, the poly community. There there absolutely are. First of all, anything that breaches a, a previous agreement is is technically what cheating is, you know. It's like if the agreement is that you can fuck this girl, but you can't, you know, uh have romantic conversations and say I love you and you do that, then like, okay. I didn't cheat when I fucked, but I cheated when I said I love you, you know? And it's like, well, that was previously agreed that that was not okay. Uh, whereas most traditional monogamous relationships would look at cheating as defined by a sexual act. And it's like, okay, but as long as you're friends, well, that's still an intimate relationship. Well, as long as they're not, you know, touching each other's privates, well, they might still love this and care for this person dearly and not have you know, the, the freedom to express the physicality because it's cheating, but like they're already in this other thing. Like yeah. you don't consider that cheating because it doesn't draw this this imaginary line that you made. Uh, so that's something that's very interesting is the concept of cheating and where it comes from on people. And, and certainly there are people that get in, especially in the swinger world, there are a ton of couples that like, yeah, you know, we're doing this because the guy got caught cheating 50 times. Mm -hmm. And so the girl just does it because it, it, she thinks it gives the guy this outlet to do this and she doesn't realize that more of and we've known couples that have done, been like this and ultimately either they stop swinging because it's a disaster or they get a divorce because it was inevitable that it was there was an incompatibility there right. and the cheating came from something it came from either this person's inability to have this autonomous decision making amongst themselves or a, an extreme disconnect in, in the primary relationship that they probably shouldn't have been together anyways. Like this person needed an outlet to mask this hole in his life, in his or her life, you know? And whether it's uh, a secret drug addiction or secret alcoholism or infidelity, it all kind of comes from the same spot of doing something for yourself that you can't do because you're stuck in a situation that you shouldn't be in, but you think you want to be in and you've been lying to yourself and it's, your whole life is wrapped up into this and everybody knows everybody and I can't escape. And so I'm just going to do this thing for myself because what, what's the harm in doing something for myself? I mean, I get it. Everybody thought that sort of, but you know, what's the harm in doing this thing for myself? I've always made the joke that like, you know, when people are like, well, I don't want my husband to have thoughts about other women. I said, do you monitor him when he masturbates? They're like, what? I'm like, when your husband jerks off, do you monitor his behavior and make sure he doesn't think about somebody else when that's happening? They're like, no. I'm like, okay. So you don't own that aspect of his thoughts. Yeah. And sometimes they just happen. You can't 
you know, I've always also joked that like, you know, you're not in charge up here. You know, you think you're in charge, but you have so many levels of your, of your consciousness that thoughts are going to pop into your head, whether you've asked them to or not. It's what you do with those thoughts and also how you take the, you know, the, the, the conceptualizing of these thoughts back to your real life and either suppress them or incorporate them or work through them or figure out what they actually mean. Uh, I've known people that have been, you know, cheaters who have had these like groundbreaking, you know, psychedelic experiences or therapy experiences, and they no longer cheat because they figured out why they were doing it in the first place. And it wasn't the sex. It's usually, I mean, and I'm not a cheater. I can't speak on this, but like, I would guess that it's usually not the sex. Yeah. Probably it's definitely not the sex. Just like speaking from my own perspective, it never was the sex. It was always something deeper, um, which I think in a lot of ways was harder for me to confront because I couldn't figure out what the root cause was. And like, that was always so challenging for me because I was like, am I always just going to be like this or am I ever going to be able to like be faithful, be monogamous? And um, no, it I, I know that we can fucking go on forever with this conversation. I definitely think that this will be another conversation that we continue into the future and we can talk about a fucking lot of things from relationships to just sexual sexual taboos in general and you know more and more and more along that list um but before we go i kind of want to just give it to you once more and see if you had like any advice for people who have been like maybe thinking about this in private maybe having conversations with their partner maybe they haven't had conversations yet like how do they bring that up to their partner and potentially start going down the road to having a, a, an open relationship or swinging or being in the lifestyle. Yeah. So, you know, it, it depends on who their partner is and how they think they're going to react. But, but the biggest thing for me is that you have to be yourself. You have to ex be able to express yourself fully. And so if you can't do that already in the relationship, that's probably the first step you want to do is being able to have heavier, deeper conversations in general with this person before you ever talk about these fantasies that you've had. Uh, that foundation absolutely needs to be there. If that foundation is there, it's much easier to approach the topic. I, I would personally not say, hey, so I've been thinking about it and I want to fuck other people. Probably use some more uh, sensitive language. You know, I wouldn't even say the word fuck, to be honest with you. I wouldn't even say that. You know, it's it's so abrasive at, at it is yes you know it's like you know talk about trust and exploration and autonomy and uh you know safety and how you know ways that this can be navigated and, and especially for new couples i always recommend or i should i should say new to non-monogamy couples you know is don't jump in too fast and especially don't do anything by yourself at first I, I know people that are like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to try the open thing. And so they start like going on dates with other people. No, I highly recommend that you do not do that. I highly recommend you think about doing this in a swinger context. And the, the first thing I would do, honestly, is find some swinger websites and some local swinger clubs because they're in every fucking city in the world and have the intention of exploring that world and navigating you know the the new relationships that you're building with these people without fucking anybody first go to the events and just see what it's like talk to people online and just see how you feel but do it together don't have separate text threads 
don't have separate accounts, don't do anything separate. That's the that's probably the number one thing that I would recommend people that are first dabbling in it. Uh, the other piece that we see a lot is that so much of this, at least in in the swinger world, is very women driven initially with this this bisexuality thing. And whether or not there is a whole world of bisexual men out there that nobody knows about, uh, you know, it, that still in and of itself is a very taboo topic, even in the non-monogamy world, even in the swinger world. There's not a, a lot of very openly bisexual men. And if there are, there are some private events and like, uh, you know, who knows, right? And, and which is so funny that even in that world, like all the chicks can be as bi as they want and fuck any chicks you want. But if one guy wants to suck another dude's dick, he can't come here anymore because we're all weirded out about this. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, if you're going to swing it with another couple, you're going to see the other dude naked. You're going to see his dick and he's going to see yours. And if you're on the same bed with the same women, your body would accidentally touch each other at some point. God forbid. And that's okay. And that's okay. But you know, as long as nobody is like, uh, you know, aggressive or assaulting or anything like who cares? I I've been the third for, uh, several other couples that, um, you know, have expressed the desire to like, you know, have a, a two guy, you know, one girl threesome, you know, focus on the wife, do the, do the things, all the positions and all the shit we can talk about in the next one of these. <laughs> and I was with one couple a number of years ago and the, the guy was bisexual and he had expressed the, both the interest and uh, provided the opportunity that if I were curious to also explore anything, he would be open to that. And I thanked him for the opportunity. I declined the opportunity. That's not my bag. Uh, and then, you know, we fucking destroyed his wife and it was wonderful. <laughs> what? It's <laughs> <laughs> but especially, especially when couples get into that, uh, you know, there, there is a, a much more common theme of couples that get into it because of these bi-curious women and the guy's like, yeah, you know, we're probably going to just have like threesomes with chicks, but like, she doesn't need to fuck any other guys, but like, she's cool with me fucking other girls. I'm like, wow, that sounds really misogynist. And that sounds really ownership based yeah. sort of thing. And we, I, I've talked to other guys that are like, I'm the only dick she needs, but she loves seeing me with other girls. I'm like. You sure about that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you're just a controlling douche, and they always are. And so making sure that things are evenly paired, that it's like if you can't mutually agree on shared experiences that are benefiting you know, both people to an equal degree, then you're not ready for this. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's another couple that we know that I'm obviously not going to divulge, and they've had this conversation where it's like each one of them would be like, yeah, I would totally... I would totally love to have a threesome where the guy's like, I would totally love for you to bring another girl in. And the woman's like, I would totally love to bring another guy in. But they both agree that they're not comfortable with the other scenario. And so neither one of them can essentially allow that person to give up that for them. Yeah. You know, and in the lifestyle, they call it taking one for the team. It's like, you don't want to fuck the ugly person so your spouse can fuck the hot person. Like, you also don't want to fuck anybody if you're not, if your spouse isn't cool with the other thing. You know, you don't want to take one for the team. So those are the big things is, uh, slowly easing into the dialogue, having already a, a strong foundation of honest, deep, mm. transparent conversation, being able to tackle these things, you know, maturely being stable first and foremost, and then using very sensitive language, uh, very compassionate language towards how you think the other person's going to respond to these sorts of things. And then when you do take the chance, start slow, network, research, go to events, meet people. I mean, we met like a dozen couples over the first couple of months that we were in the lifestyle before we touched a single person. We went to dinner, we heard their stories, you know, uh, totally laughed and you know, maybe flirted a little bit and nothing, you know, and we tiptoed into it. Um, 
there was even one couple, couple that, you know, we went to a club with them and decided to just have sex in the same little room as I got trial. Cool. And they knew that that was our boundary and we weren't comfortable swapping. And so they're like, yeah, that's fun. Let's do it. And so that's what we did. And we're like, oh, that was, wasn't awkward at all. Cool. Yeah. Great. And, uh, yeah, so those are kind of the big takeaways that I would do venturing into that, uh, is definitely don't go full send with solo dating polyamory intense relationships right out of the gate because you don't know how you're going to react to that um give a little bit of grace from the beginning for sure so we're definitely going to continue this conversation at some point because i have a lot more questions to ask i know that i at some point want to start talking a little bit as well rather than just letting you monopolize all the conversation i think i could add like one or two things um but no before i let you go where can people find you? Where can people find Morphogen? Where can they order supplements and drugs from you? And drugs? <laughs> well, I don't sell supplements, you know, obviously. I don't sell drugs. I do them with my friends. <laughs> Where can they find me? Uh, Instagram, I'm Morphogen underscore Ben. My old account was Morphogen Ben, and Instagram locked me out. It's still out there somewhere. Uh, Morphogen Nutrition is our company, but the website is MN Takeover. Much easier to spell than Morphogen Nutrition. Uh, in retrospect, after all these years, you know, I would have made a different email handle than Ben at morphogenutrition.com. Um, Mine's fucked. Yeah, I know. I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> so mntakeover.com, uh, at morphogen underscore Ben, at morphogen underscore nutrition. Uh, what, what else? What was the question? Where can they buy us? Uh, so we, we're mostly direct to consumer sales right now, at least uh, our primary you know business model. Uh, we are going to be exploring some wholesale very soon. We actually just announced yesterday that we are going to be opening up some select wholesale partnerships. Uh, we've also been in very early discussions with a very popular chain store about uh, moving some product in there as well in the near future. So um, it, if you can't buy it in the store, then just go to our site and buy it. Yeah. So. Perfect. Beautiful. Yeah, we'll put all of that in the show notes and comments as well. But no, Ben, I really appreciate you doing this with me. Obviously, you know, we'll probably talk in 30 minutes, so it won't be a big deal. But, um, but yeah, we'll definitely do this again. See you guys.